Welcome to Kuden, the radio show and podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shihan Jeffrey Miller and Shidoshi Eric White. Shihan Miller is a 13th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Shidoshi Eric White has been a student of Shihan Miller's for over a decade. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Ah, konnichiwa, and happy Friday. Welcome to uh, another episode of Kuden, and uh, we've been off for a week, so that's dangerous for everybody listening, because we're well <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Had lots of time to stew on our ideas, right? Konnichiwa, that is right. you. You're, you're jonesing to go back to Japan, I think. Yeah, well, I've been spending a lot of time with my, my Japanese little app uh, of continuing to keep up with it, so. Uh, Excellent. Working it in. So, yeah, with uh, last week, if you were on the Kuden podcast page on Facebook, you, you at least were treated to something. We didn't leave you hanging. You got a chance to link up with uh, episode 11. So hopefully you got a chance to go back in time to when we recorded episode 11. But uh, here we are this week, brand new live show. Uh, Mr. Miller's back. I'm back. So we're here and we've uh, we're going to lead off today with a question, which is always great. Thank you to uh, Joshua. Joshua Blum posting to the uh, Kudem podcast page. So I'd, I'd like to start right there. And he says, every now and then you hear about people who can't even dial 911 in the face of a, a stressful situation because of the default fight or flight response and its flood of stress hormones. Any thoughts on dealing with the fight or flight response in the face of an attack and not letting it get the better of you? I, I like this question. It's an awesome question. I just, there was just a news story that I saw just like in the last week where somebody, um, somebody was, they weren't face-to-face like they were in it, but they came around the corner, and there was this stuff going on, and it wasn't until the attacker fled that they remembered that they had their cell phone in their hand that, I mean, it was, it was a, like this exact thing, um, and they couldn't, they, they didn't even remember that they had a cell phone, let alone uh, be able to bring themselves to dial 911, you know? So, um, no, I get it. So, um, yeah, wow. I don't know. you have any ideas? Well, you know, it's really interesting, this question with, with <laughs> you had sent me a video of this. Uh, the video is titled, Watch This Machete-Wielding Florida Homeowner Refused to Be a Robbery Victim. And so I watched the video, and, you know, they're in their backyard patio kind of thing, and, and here come, like, three masked men, one wielding a shotgun into this guy's backyard. He's just out there in the evening doing what have you. And what I really interestingly kind of noticed was that this particular guy gets up and immediately his response isn't flight, it's fight. And he he just starts pressing hey, the two by four or something like that, right? That was yeah, an initial. He started with a two by four, which was just something he could grab nearby. And you know, right. you're watching this, it's like that guy's got a shotgun, but he he just keeps pressing the attack, he doesn't stop. There's no stopping to think about that. And then later you see him kind of go out of frame and he comes back and here he's got this big like machete and the right. robbers are scrambling. But what I notice is also in the background, another person who is sitting on the other side of this, this table on their patio, he, uh, one of the, the robbers had kind of been on that guy and basically said, Hey, get on the floor. And so it's this really interesting contrast between the guy who just goes, okay, I'm just going to, you know, 
sit face down on the floor like he's asking me to and surrender basically to, to whatever he's asking me to do while the other guy had the opposite response of attack now don't wait do something ran right into it absolutely so you know i don't know anything about that guy's background um I did pick out in the news story, this guy lives on the West Coast in Florida, uh, the one that was targeted, and those, uh, there were actually five uh, robbers altogether because they caught the two that ran off because he, he actually um, grabbed the one with the shotgun and beat him into the floor um, and uh, waited for cops and stuff. The other mm-hmm. two had taken off, and the cops caught them with two of their compatriots at some little restaurant or cafe or whatever, um, like a half mile away or something like that. So there were five total, but these five people had driven from the east coast of Florida, right? Um, if you've ever done that, it's like a three-hour drive, right? So yeah. I highly doubt that they just, like, drove across the, the state to, um, you know, drive around and pick somebody. But maybe. Um, but either way, mask and all that. Um, so I don't know if this guy recognized by the way the shotgun was held or anything like that. I mean, you know, I was looking at, at things that um, – he may have he may have developed a higher sense of confidence once he grabbed things or the way he saw things were were being carried if he has experience or just the fact that when he charged him with the with the two by four and now two of those other two guys had big knives or machetes or something like that too so uh, maybe the two by four wasn't working but you know the fact that he wasn't shot within the first couple of seconds may have just continued to bolster that thing because you did see him look you know run past the screen. And it looked mm-hmm. like uh, it could have looked like he was running for cover or something like that, because they actually tried to chase him, and then you know they're standing around trying to bark at him to come out or whatever. And when he came out, <laughs> that was a huge machete. That was, yeah, that was amazing. They just the one the guy with the, the uh, shotgun tried to take off. The other two went and climbed walls. Right? I mean, they just uh, you can see them climbing over a fence or yeah, they fence or whatever it was. And um, yeah, because he had disarmed the. Uh, the one attacker, the attacker's out of frame, but you could see him where at one point he had the shotgun in his hand and he tossed it over his counter or over something that he had. And, um, but he, oh, he put a whoop on him, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's the fight, the flight. And the big thing that people forget is what Josh is alluding to now is the freeze, right? Because we have this huge adrenal dump and it's not fight or flight. It's fight, flight or freeze because you can literally watch some people who are terrified stand in place and vibrate like limbs are flying or the body's just shaking and everything because mm. there's all that energy and, and things are happening. It's got to go somewhere, but, you know, and, and I don't know the whole mechanism as to why it doesn't, whether it's the brain scrambling and it's it's running around too, and therefore the body's going to mix messages or whatever it is. I don't know. But um, one of my big suggestions, and this this goes hand in hand with training, right, is to uh, put yourself through reaction drills or uh, situations or experiences where you're going to have this adrenal response. Now, I, I don't suggest running into a bank that's being robbed or, you know, run past a demolition zone or something like that. But, you know, um, I'm not a big fan of some of the rides at amusement parks because I don't find them amusing at all, right, um, because it causes that, that mechanism to fire in me. Uh, roller coasters are a big example. I'm not a big fan of roller coasters. My daughter and my wife are, so I go to appease the beasts, so they have a good time. But it gives me a chance to breathe and to focus through that through that rush, through that adrenal response. Because I'm not having a fun time, but at the same time, I've learned to be able to um, 
at least neutralize that so I can experience the ride, although I'm not having fun. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So part of it is a desensitization, right? Just like uh, one of the analogies I give a lot is uh, learning to catch, right? Um, if you had a dad like mine, you know, when you were first learning to catch, um, he didn't take a baseball and throw it at 50 miles an hour at your skull, right? It, my dad had this big inflatable ball kind of thing and would toss it. And, you know, I pulled up my arms, and after watching my son go through the same phase, right, the arms are all stiff and uncoordinated and, you know, trying to snatch the ball out of the air. Well, it bounces all over the place. And then eventually you get coordinated enough to catch that. And then, you know, things speed up, the ball gets smaller, harder, that kind of thing, until eventually, you know, you're playing baseball or at least catch. And, you know, dad's throwing a real football or a baseball or whatever at you, and you're learning how to, you know, and, and then it just becomes, oh, yeah, it's just part of my day, right? So uh, that's that's a big thing. And, again, you know, people don't have to go through um, trauma, actual, uh, you know, negative trauma to do that. Uh, well, I guess it would all be negative trauma. But they don't have to go through violence. They don't have to go through uh, bad guy scenarios to develop that kind of thing. Um, but this is a real thing. This is a real world kind of thing. Um, I saw a study that came out of uh, the Vietnam War um, where they showed that only 20% of a combat unit actually returned effective fire during a firefight, right? Wow. There's a huge percentage where they're doing a spray and pray kind of thing because they're just panicking. And there's a whole other group that's just huddled and screaming and pissing themselves and crying because they can't function, right? They have what used to be called operational shutdown, and now it's called PTSD. Right. Uh, originally, it was called shell shock. So, um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, I think we've fared out pretty well, and, and any military that's ever fared out well, because um, that's probably across the board, you know, human human wise, um, except for special forces and all that, because they very quickly weed people out in those programs that can't function when the pressure's turned up. You know, they you feel free to. I mean, some of them you can just ring a bell and wash yourself out. And other ones, they're, they're more than happy to sign off on you, just get you out of there. There's nothing uh, nothing demeaning about, uh, you know, the fact that you have to leave the military or whatever. You're just going to step down to units where um, you're probably safer in numbers because there's going to be more people operating. In a special forces um, uh, team, you're looking at 5 to 15 people, maybe a little bit more. Um, and they all have to be able to engage. Cause, could you imagine if only 20% of seven people return fire, effective fire? Yeah. Right? I mean, it would just it would be screwy, right? So same thing with SWAT teams and all that. Um, so these guys trained with real live like um, uh, flashbang grenades, right? When they're when they're practicing, right? So they get desensitized to these flashbangs going off because the, the people in the building or in the area, whether they're perpetrators or victims, they're the ones that are going to be scrambling or locked down or, you know, in, in that shock and awe kind of uh, state. And they can't be. They have to be able to focus and move through. So uh, that's one suggestion. Uh, and the other one is actually something that I learned from um, a Buddhist teacher a long time ago. And uh, this one, actually, the lesson came through with regards to anger, but it easily crosses over to any emotional state. And um, a, just a really quick way to neutralize that emotional state, even elation, 
right? Where you're so happy and all that kind of stuff that you're just, you know, bubbling over. And But it's the same thing, right? You're in such an emotional state that you're not functioning um, logically, right? And you can agree to things. You can, you know, you can end up, uh, you know, missing something, right? You can run over yeah. a bus or whatever because you're just so, you know, so enamored or whatever it is, right? But it's it's a way to neutralize the emotional, this overwhelming emotional state. Uh, not like I said, he gave he gave it to me in the form of anger, but it would work as, this way as well. And the lesson is, when you recognize that you are this thing, in this case it was anger, right? Um, what you're supposed to say is, I'm angry, right? And you may have to say that a couple of times, right? But what you're doing is passing at least part of your functioning over to your left brain because you have to to be able to say, I'm angry, right? And what that does is it begins to cut the sting and the control of this emotion, right? And I have found that it also works with fear, okay? By saying, and in the case of a, of a violent situation, you could yell, I'm scared, I'm afraid, you know, whatever, right? Just say it, okay? Um, hmm. And if you're yelling it, now it turns into a key eye, right? Uh, it may bolster the bad guy's uh, confidence, but at the same time, it may cause him to pause because, you know, here's this mixed message kind of thing, right? Where you're afraid, but you're screaming at him that you're afraid. Well, that's aggressive, right? So it's kind of a mixed message kind of thing. But one way to uh, to cut it is to actually verbalize the fear, to actually say, I'm afraid or I'm scared or something like that, uh, and it, it will actually cut it, right? Uh, hmm probably not going to make all that it's not going to make all the energy go away because you're having a chemical response uh, on a cellular level in your body but at the same time um, what you want to do the, the, the immobilization happens because you don't either you don't know what to do or that the process has taken a little vacation right uh, one of the things that uh, Shoshi Malmstrom taught a long time ago was uh, you know when we're doing training drills and, and things like that, and I pass that on to you guys at the dojo, when we're doing training drills and response things and, and things like that, right, um, what you're addressing is the fact that we have this, we have this gap in time as the, as the brain and the body shift into, go from normal state to this altered state uh, called fight or flight or whatever you want to call it, right, uh, into combat mode, survival mode. There's a time gap. There's, you know, it's, for some people, it's, you know, half a second. For other people, it's 10 minutes, right? And they, they're the ones that get run over by the Zamboni, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, uh, so the point of training is to get yourself to where you reduce that response time, that, that dead time, as small as possible. You can never make it go away, but you can reduce it to, you know, the, the smallest amount possible. And I don't know what that is. I mean, for me, it's, I don't know, because you end up in a, in a time distortion kind of thing. So for me, I don't know if it's half a second or three seconds. I don't know. I just know that under pressure, and this is me in, a, in my normal world, under pressure and under deadline, my state is I go to focus, right? But there's a whole other school of thought that says no one, no one uh, functions well under pressure. No one you know, when people say I function better under pressure, there's a whole uh, school of thought that says, you know, no one functions better under pressure, right? You always function better when you're not under pressure. But I don't know.
know about the functioning part because we do, we do go to gross motor skills and things, but um, I, I'm able to focus and shut out the world when there's a deadline or there's something that absolutely must be done right now, like in emergencies and things. I don't go scatterbrained, right? I, I mm. just hone in and go. So uh, and so I don't I don't know if that was a matter of birth. I don't know if it was a matter of having to stay focused through trauma because I, I you know grew up in a rather uh, we'll call him a negatively passionate no we'll call him a, a an abusive stepfather right that uh, mm. did attack and things like that so uh, or he was yelling and screaming and whatever right so I mean I grew up in that kind of an environment just like how somebody said they did. Uh, Stephen Hayes did not, right? But, uh, you know, anyway, so I don't know if it was a part of that. Um, you know, I, I think maybe everything just kind of uh, built up, right? Military, law enforcement, all those kind of things, right? So, uh, but it is what it is. But the two, on two, the double-edged sword there is on one, create some experiences for yourself so that you can uh, work on it, right? So your autonomic system can kind of rewire so that you can focus through those things. Um, and by creating more experiences, you have more op- more opportunities to use that second trick that I gave you, which was, you know, yelling, I'm scared, or uh, something like that. Don't, don't just yell uh, unintelligible things. Don't just yell, because that's coming from the right brain side. That's coming from the emotive mm-hmm. side, right? Coming from the lower functions. What we want to do is shift things over into these higher functions where speech belongs because that brings them back into the into the mix and brings clarity back in, right? Uh, it's still going to be distorted, but you're still – you're bringing things in that are able to process, select options, you know, use our higher, higher functions. The emotion is still going to be there, so part of this is just getting used to it, right, a desensitization kind of thing, process. And then the other part is it being able to use this little trick to cut the emotive response and, and bring the logical, rational you back into yeah. the so, Yeah. Uh, I think, too, like uh, experiences, kind of like what you're saying, that you can you can dive into and explore what it is about the experience. You know, for example, something that uh, you're, you, you have a fear of or afraid of. For me, this kind of personally come, comes out in the form of when I was young, just like most, scared of needles, you know, go to the doctor, get a shot, and just go hide under a table for 10 minutes, you know, couldn't, couldn't get a hold of me kind of thing. And as I got older, that fear, of course, kind of came, you know, carried with me that, okay, I could go to the lab to have blood drawn, but, you know, nervous, shaky, couldn't watch what was going on. And, you know, right. much, much of kind of getting into this training, I tried to focus on becoming the observer like you know okay let's let's watch this unfold so you know forcing myself to to watch them you know stab me with a needle and take blood and as i did that it became you know i kind of removed myself from the situation a little bit i was i was an observer at that point it's like okay i'm gonna watch them do this this really isn't that bad and and uh you know you kind of go through it a little bit to yeah and now that's, it's not that's a thing a, for me at all that's a good phrase there, removing myself from the situation. Uh, you're still in it, right? But there's this part of you that, you know, fears for its life or whatever it is, right? Whatever that, that fear is coming from. Um, 
Uh, Josh is actually more qualified for that than I am, but, you know, uh, uh, where's I going to go with that? Actually, in the Gyoko Ryu, right, uh, there are these different full-body mudra that uh, you do at, before you execute these kata. Now, you don't do it on the battlefield or whatever, but you might do it before you enter battle. And mm-hmm. one of them uh, literally is about uh, removing yourself from the uh, from the decision kind of thing, because the, what the reality is that if you fear losing, you're helping yourself lose because you have this concern, you have this worry about losing, dying, whatever. If you have this imperativeness to win, you're on your path to losing because you're focused on one or the other instead of just letting things play out, right? So one of these mudra is really about uh, recognizing that, you know, universal justice or whatever it is will play itself out, right? I may be the right one, but if I don't do the right things in the right order or, or at the right time, or I don't do enough of them and he does, then universal justice says he's going to win, right? Just basic yeah. karma, right? So if I'm not okay with that, then I shouldn't be discussing these these things anyway, right? And there's another mudra where you're in kind of a doko no kamai kind of position, and I never bother to memorize these these names uh, as far as the, the postures. I just know what they are and what the mindset and the heart's supposed to be. But one of these, it looks like doko from Ma 2, except that your front hand, it's it's like you're plugged into this guy because you're pointing at his heart. And then the other one is raised a little higher, and you're in this boshiken, and the, the thumb tip is pointed up, up at the air, up in the sky, right? And the feeling is, is that I am uh, making him face God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, I'm mm-hmm. removing myself from the judge, jury, executioner, whatever kind of uh, thing, right? So uh, there, there is no – again, it's, it's kind of an extension of the first one, but there's no, there's no uh, place in the mind or the heart for the fear of losing or the need to win – it's the I'm, you know, I'm making him face justice or whatever it is, right? So, uh, but I don't. At the same time, I don't see myself as a hand of God hmm. to, you know. So I'm not like a Knights Templar or whatever that's, you know, going to smite him because he's not doing the right things or whatever. It's not about that, okay? Uh, but the, the, that that's a good phrase that I'm removing myself from the from the equation, right? Hmm that uh, there's a bigger picture kind of thing going on, right? Uh, I, I did the same kind of needle thing when I was growing up, and, uh, you know, I just hit a stage where I was going to look because this was necessary to make me well or this was necessary to diagnose a problem or whatever. So, you know, um, my question, you know, the question in my mind was how many do you need? So, you know, what does my blood look like when it comes out? Either way, I have these questions that I'm asking myself, not to the phlebotomist, just to me. So mm-hmm. I've got my left brain uh, busy, right, asking questions, and I'm observing to get answers. So what color is my blood? Is it red, red? Is it, you know, what is that, right? How many, you know, how many? What does it look like when it's coming out of this tube? So by focusing on the tube and the vial that's being filled with blood, I'm not paying attention to the needle that's poking into my arm, right? So, uh, but again, it's just another one of those little 
little psychology tricks. So anyway. Yeah. And if anybody's scared of needles and decides to try that, just be prepared for funny looks from the phlebotomist because that's, that's yeah. what I get now. Like, you really want to, you really want to watch this? Oh yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. I, I'll, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just want to see my blood the same color today as it was last time. Excuse me. <laughs> well, I changed my diet a little bit. Who knows? You know, <laughs> but the other thing I do as well is I go in and I use humor as well. So, you know, I'll start, I'm just very personable, so I just go in and, and chat a little bit and make jokes about being there. And, you know, I'm the, I'm the dark board of the hour kind of thing and whatever, you know. So uh, it, it, it changes my state. I just put myself into a different state. I think that's a, that's a huge thing. But I think one of the big things that causes people to freeze up is that there is this underlying – I mean, sometimes it can be conscious, but there's for, – for a lot of people – you know, this is conscious or unconscious or subconscious where they really don't believe that they're ever going to be in that kind of a situation. So, and that's what training does. Training, at the very least, simulates, you know, that kind of a situation. Fists are flying at you, feet are flying at you, you know, pain. You start to learn that, you know, unless it, even if it breaks, because I've been broken, right? Even if it breaks, right? Pain is pain, but I still need to function. So, you know, you, you learn to get over these things. I think it's a part of the maturing. Um, but so many people, they never believe that they're going to be in a situation like that. And when they come around the corner and they're face-to-face with it, it you know, they just, they're, they're stuck. You know what I mean? Because yeah. now they are. Now what? Right? Mm. Um, so, anyway, hopefully that helps. Kind of I mean, kind of further expanding on that, too. You, you know, you talk about uh, pain and something, you know, may happen. Uh, you know, training while you have some kind of injury, you know, uh, necessarily not, not oh, absolutely. coming to class or training just because you found yourself with a broken ankle or, well, you know, there's, there's still things that should be done, could be done, uh, you know, to, to continue your training because those things can happen anytime. And what if, what if you get attacked with an injury, you know? Yeah. So, um, one of the, one of the most recent things was, and of course it happened in 07 when I had that accident. In 2008, I uh, probably shouldn't have gone to Japan because I was still brain scrambled and all that, but I did, right? And I had this, you know, bulging disc between T8 and T9 um, on my spine. And um, so I go over and I go to Ishizuka Sensei's dojo. And uh, I was kind of taking things easy and all that. And, you know, I explained to him about the accident. And I said, so I've got this damage. And he went, really? Oh, what a gift. I'm like, mm. Oh, please do tell, right? He said, mm-hmm. you know, so it hurts when, you know, you move your arms and shoulders and things like that. So I said, sometimes it just seizes up and, you know, I get this, I, you know, this, I describe the, the feeling and all that. And he said, see, you can, you can feel something now that most people will only ever conceptualize, right? But I'm, can I show you this? This will hurt, but I am not going to hurt you. Do you understand the difference? Yes, of course, right? Mm. So he then starts to apply omotekyaku, urakyaku, mushatori, onikudaki, these kind of things, right? And they all locked up at T8, T9. And he said, see, now you know what to look for because you have this gift. Yes, it will take time to heal, yes, and all that, but now you know what a correct technique is doing. You know that it's more than turning the hand. You know that it's more than seizing the the elbow or locking the shoulder. 
important that you know why we say that all techniques are designed to seize the spine and immobilize the feet, but which part of the spine? Because if you, you know, cause them to twist at the wrong place, they simply shift their hips and step out. Well, mid-thoracic, at this spot, it's one of the flex points in the spine, right? And um, so he proceeded to put these things on. Hurt like hell. Really, really Uh did. But at the same time, I could feel that every time he did a technique, that's where it kinked. It wasn't like I felt it because my back was arching, you know what I mean, and that was just a sensitive area. It went straight there. So, you know, if I were to go, no, you know, no thanks, no, whatever. I mean, I would have missed a a beautiful opportunity, um, you know, to find out exactly how this thing works, you know. So, uh, you know me. I mean, you've been to Japan with me at least once. So uh, if I get an opportunity to volunteer as the uke, I'm game, right, because who better to feel what the technique is actually doing? Because, you know, you can only see so much, right? From wherever you're standing in a room looking at something, you're only looking at two to five degrees out of a 360-degree circle, not counting below and above, you know, of this technique and what's going on, right? Which is why I'm constantly changing angles so people can see from different sides. But, you know, most people just stand in one place. So you're, you can only perceive what you're picking up as far as information. God, I'd rather be the UK. Right, because I can I can step back out again, watch him do it to somebody else, and see visually from the outside. But from the inside, oh, I know what's happening to the body, not just that he's catching my arm, or he's got my arm in a V position and he's bringing this thing through. I can feel what's happening to the joint, to the spine, to the balance. Uh, just what a gift, right? Yeah. And I was taught way back when I was a white belt that. You know, the uke um, learns more about the technique than anyone else, right? And so many people waste that opportunity even when they're just training with their training partner. They don't have to be training with their sensei. They can be training with a training partner, and what they're doing mentally is waiting for their turn. It is your turn. It's your turn to practice attacking. It's your turn to recognize what's happening with the body so that you can recognize if, if he's doing it correctly or if you have an escape, right, Um, because you're going to use that later for countering these exact same techniques, you can feel uh, where it's it's dead on and, and, you know, there's a problem. You can feel where the opportunities are for breakfalls or, uh, you know, saving yourself and when it's just not going to happen. Just so much about it, right? But for a lot of people, it's a wasted moment because they're waiting for, quote, unquote, their turn to do the technique when they're missing all this extra stuff. So I'm singing to the choir when I'm telling you because you you (laughs) went through this and you learned that it's important to feel the technique. So yeah, do this thing. Absolutely. And, and as kind of you, you, you're, you're saying here, you know, in a way injuries and pain can be a great teacher for, you know, not, you know, techniques and, 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 you know, sometimes footwork or any other thing I've, you know, I've run into, not, you know, sometimes myself, sometimes talking to other students of, you know, well, I really tweaked my knee, but boy, it's telling me, it, it's really helped to tell me that my foot works way off. And, right. Uh, right. It's, or it's your really foot alignment's off or you're rocking, you're, you're putting your weight too much towards your arch. Um, I've had, a, you know, I had an injured knee. I've got arthritis in my knees now, but I had an injured knee one time and it actually came from a shot I took from one of the Shihan in, um, in Japan. 
and was one of these uh guck again, one of these hidden kicks, came across and caught me right in the knee and just collapsed me, right? And um that was like within the first three days of being in country. And I trained for another week and a half, right? That's what braces and bandages are for and stuff, right? So anyway, I did that but uh and while it hurt, right, and it would heal, right? Um, and please don't take this as me being some kind of a tough guy. I just paid a lot of money to go there. I'm not wasting the time. So, um, but what I found was that if I fell back on old habits, because injuries can do that to you, right? Just in an mm. attempt to save itself, the body can revert to bad habits or whatever, especially if you haven't fully integrated these things into muscle memory. So, um, you know, my knee would hurt or whatever. And, and so, what I would do is I would immediately check where the weight distribution was on the bottom of my feet, right? Where uh, I'd look down and look at the alignment between my knee and my foot. And I'd put the knee back in a better position or turn my feet into a better she's end position or whatever. And almost universally, the pain, it wouldn't disappear, but it would it would be reduced by a good 70 to 90 percent, you know? And it was just, so it's a reminder, right? Something's not in place. And an injury, you know, things are out of place, out of place. But, man, what an opportunity to make sure that you're learning where the best place to be is. Yeah. I know we just got off track for what Josh's thing was, but um, this, this stuff is all connected. Well, you know, I love the question again uh, that Josh submitted. Questions are always great, so you know, keep those coming, and uh, that's what we—that's what we aim to do with this show—is is answer answer those questions and, and dive into those topics further. Uh, kind of the one thing that you know I was looking kind of selfishly to discuss, but you know, maybe not so selfishly because I think uh, it's it's been beneficial no, to me selfish. and it can be beneficial <laughs> to many others. Yeah, yeah okay, I am. Um, is 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 this idea of power generation and this comes uh you know came to me in training with uh your your kuji courses and and uh i've been through a couple of those and, and that second level has to do with generating power and been spending time recently myself on you know looking to have more energy you know lose weight and so i've been doing a number of things from you know walking and all of this but one of the things was diving deeper into my notes and reviewing that that Kuji level two course we did on power generation and, and mm-hmm. that's been so beneficial to me, uh, you know, with with you know working a fifty hour a week job and taking care of family at home and there's just so many aspects to my day that you know I describe so, these things life. to some people and they yeah life but it it, it makes their head spin like my God when do you sleep you know, you know four or five hours of sleep I've been getting lately but. Uh, feeling very energized and, and tackling a lot of projects in stride, given all those things. So uh, a lot of that I attribute to some of the lessons and, and exercising those things that we learned in that course. So I definitely wanted wanted you to talk some more about that and and let people know how they can you know maybe get access to some of those parts of training that aren't normally discussed in uh, you know on the dojo floor. Yeah, you know it's optional, right? Sensei always says, you don't have to do that, right? Um, of course, he also will wink at some of us and kind of go, you, know, you don't have to breathe either, but we highly suggest it, right? So <laughs> um, it's optional. Don't worry about it, right? So anyway, um, just a couple of things that come to mind. I mean, one of the one of the introductory lessons that uh, that you guys get 
before we even start looking at something as deep as Kuji, right? Um, it's all part of it, but it's just one of those things that you can start working on right away. It's kind of like the uh, the Sanju Shichi Dobon, the 37 Fundamentals Leading to Enlightenment, that the Buddha uh, was that he kind of taught on or, or tossed this list out at folks um, near the end of his life, near the end of his career slash life or whatever, when his disciples said, you know, this stuff could really be beneficial to lots and lots of people. It's just that most people can't um, they can't just walk away from families and jobs and things like that. I mean, you know, they have lives. So what parts of these things could we teach that anybody could use, right? So here was this he expounded on these 37 elements, right? Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing a course on that uh, coming up. So uh, somebody doesn't Ooh. have to be a Buddhist or even be interested in Nikyo or whatever. We're going to go through those 37 elements. Uh, probably be a 10 to 15 week course. It'll be a really cool thing and help tie some of these other uh, courses like the Jusan Butsu and the seven, uh, first seven steps, uh, things like that together. But it would actually be a, a precursor or a standalone, you don't have to do the other ones kind of thing, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, see, you went, hmm, so perhaps. Yeah, uh, I'm in. Someone's interested. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. Yeah, all right. So anyway, uh, but this, this model that I, that I, uh, gave is something that I got way early on in my training, and it just uses the Godai elements as ways to increase energy, right? Hmm. And um, I've had to re-remind myself of this here recently because, uh, you know, I, too, I'm trying to drop more weight now that I'm weaned off all these pain meds and all that kind of stuff. I, I just need to get everything back. But at the same time, I'm working now with, you know, hips and knees that are arthritic and uh Sometimes exercise is painful as hell. So, you know, uh, based on actual needed to principles, what's the least amount that I can do to derive the greatest benefit? So I've been I've been researching, I've been uh, you know pulling out all kinds of things, right? And um, so uh, just to go through them quickly, right? And for those everybody should know what the godai are, uh, but some don't, right? So these five elements: this earth, water, fire, wind, and void, right? Not the gogyo, the godai, right? Um, so uh, earth is uh, diet, right? Just think minerals, right? Uh, rocks and minerals, right? So uh, the earth element is, is diet, right? Um, and diet's kind of tough because people can jump onto or off of fad diets, but something that happened since they taught on way early in my training career, um, we're talking like way early 80s, if not 1980, uh, give or take, right? But uh, he said, you know, uh, before you jump on and try to do this macrobiotic Japanese diet that I'm eating because, you know, you want to be a ninja or whatever, don't forget that you're not Japanese, right? What is your genetic makeup, right? Where did it come from? If you're Irish, maybe rice will make you feel sluggish, but potatoes will energize you, right? Because all carbs are not made the same, just like all proteins are not made the same, right? Um, so instead of being a generalist, right? So one of the things that was suggested to me was to kind of – you could do it mentally, but I find journaling works a whole lot better. And that is just keeping track from meal to meal, which ones make you feel tired and sluggish, which ones maybe affect you emotionally, right? Um, I found that I there are certain things, right, uh, that just cause me to feel – or not feel um, – yeah, feel, right? I get testy and angry. Right? And I don't know, you know, originally I didn't know why, and now I look back and go, mm, I hate that, <laughs> right? Um, and so uh, 
So which ones make you feel more light and ready to go? Okay. I, I find that I do much better on a, uh, like a 50% carb diet. Now, that's a lot of vegetables and, you know, uh, maybe potato or uh, rice or whatever and meat to season more than doing like a big steak or just steak and potatoes or whatever. Those, I, I eat a meal like that and I'm just ready for a nap. Where somebody else, I have a friend that, um, you know, if he eats a, a salad and some pasta, he's ready for a nap, right? But if he eats a steak and potato thing, he's ready to run a marathon, right? I'm just the opposite. So what works for you, right? Now, I have a Native American background um, with some Anglo in there and all that. So when I look back on these things, you know, things like squashes and, and uh, corn and grains, uh, things like that, it's just – you know, it's, I handle it very differently, right? So part of that is just testing and figuring it out, but also make sure that you're getting essential nutrients. Um, you know, make sure you're getting plenty of potassium and you're getting plenty of, uh, I think it's uh, magnesium. Magnesium is responsible for something like 350-some uh, chemical responses or reactions in your body to wow. make other things work. So, yeah, so if you're low on magnesium, you're not processing things like calcium and, and a bunch of other things. Again, this is just from my experience. I'm not a doctor. I'm not, you know, giving medical advice. So, but it's just based on my own research. So anyway, earth is diet, right? Water is water, right? Not coffee, not soda, not whatever. Uh, over the past two weeks, I've been weaning myself off of uh, my diet Pepsi addiction, right? So I'm down to like one diet Pepsi a day, maybe, right? But I've been steadily increasing my water intake. So uh, right now I'm up between 50 and 64 ounces of water. Um, but uh, my goal is to do the gallon a day kind of thing uh, because hypersaturation has been proven to actually help with weight loss and all that. And there's a couple. Of, there's a video I found on uh, YouTube that uh, you know what what happens when you switch to water and, and you know how much time or whatever. Within seven to nine days, uh, being hydrated. Right, your energy level goes up, uh, your focus and clarity goes up because your brain is something like 70 or 80 percent water, right? So if you're dehydrated, then your mental functions are inhibited, right? Just like your cellular activities and all that. Okay, and so you know you, you're only as you're only as energetic or strong or whatever as your um, weakest cells. And if we're talking about clarity and energy and all that, right? Body and brain are linked, so uh, we want to be there. So anyway, to cut to the chase here, uh, fire is exercise, but it's not just, uh, you know, aerobic or whatever. Um, it's all exercise, everything from stretching and flexibility, which opens up the joints, stretches the, the, the uh, uh, tissue, and uh, opens up the gateways for electrical, uh, you know, things to the nerves. Uh, if you have joints that are tight and compressed, you're pinching off everything from circulation of fluids to circulation of electrical impulses from the brain and spine out into the limbs and the turn and all that stuff, right? So uh, there's that. Um, let's see. Uh, wind is breathing, right? So do more breathing, right? Um, you want to get more oxygen into the system, uh, get a pinkish uh, hue to your uh, skin if you're on the whiter side of white. Um, I'm not, but I can still see when things uh, brighten up a little bit. So you want to get more oxygen in there, uh, but also make sure that you're exhaling as much as you're inhaling so you don't hyperventilate and pass out. Okay? Um, one of the cool things I found out about uh, 
the whole weight loss thing and all that actually uh, I found from a, a, a scientist who explained what the uh, molecular uh, makeup of fat cells are, which is uh, carbon, hydrogen, and uh, oxygen, right? And when more oxygen hits the fat cells, the fat cell, it does, I don't know if it implodes or whatever it does, but it converts to um, carbon dioxide and water, right? And that's heat, right? And, and the, you know, this calorie thing and all that, right? Well, the big thing was in, and then once it's converted into carbon dioxide and, and water, what's the body do with it? It expels it, right? So when you exercise, you're breathing more, you're breathing more heavily and all that, so you're getting more oxygen in and you're expelling more carbon dioxide. When you hypersaturate with water, and I, I know people talk about the intoxicate, water intoxication and all that, but that's such a rare thing, and it usually happens with marathon runners. Most people, they don't like the taste of water or whatever. I throw a lemon in mine, so, uh, but, but um, it is what it is, right? You get away from diuretics like caffeine and whatever. But anyway, the, the breathing um, gets more oxygen in, right? just wakes things up, yeah. okay? Um, helps to expel more toxins through the breathing and all that. And then uh, void is um, meditation, right? So it's really about relaxation and de-stressing, right? Dropping the cortisol that builds up under stress, uh, that inhibits everything from the way the body uh, processes insulin and glucose all the way to um, uh, inhibiting the uh, the cellular function for uh, releasing and burning fat. So, uh, but I mean that's your quick and easy thing right there: earth, water, fire, yeah. and void. Diet, water, exercise, breathing, and uh, meditation. Doing something that doesn't have to be meditation, meditation like sitting and oming your your life away. If you just feel, and again, this is about self-awareness. If you feel great walking on the beach and listening to the ocean, then frickin' do that. If you feel relaxed and, and just at one and, you know, with the universe and peaceful and all that, sitting along the edge of a lake with a fishing line in the water, do that, right? Um, if, you know, just seeing pictures of forest, you know, and paths and all that, you know, uh, do it for you, then... If you can't get out to the forest, then put some pictures up on your freaking device as a screensaver and look at those, right, and reminisce on, on things like that and, and and let those kind of thoughts dominate your day or at least take over for some of the other negativity that, that could be going on, okay? So, anyway, is, is that okay? Yeah. Is, that a, is that a decent yeah. start? Now, now, kind of off of that, how uh, somebody you know may have the question, or I certainly do. How how would you know Ninja, uh, kind of famous for having this network? You know, we talk about generating power, physical power, energy, and in, in ourselves. But how would they expand on that to kind of set up these networks that gave them, uh, you know, some more you know kind of personal power outside of necessarily just their physical. Well, physical. remember that the Ninja. The ninja's a counterculture to the whole samurai ideology was about amassing more knowledge and technology and anything that could make life better and, and uh, you know, produce better results and all that. So um, as a part of the ninja no kyomon, right, um, the eighth gate of the eight gates of, the, of uh, authentic ninja training, that's increasing knowledge and, and things like that. So um, you do your research, you, you know, I, I, and spend a couple of minutes here or there. If I'm going to be on YouTube, and I'm not often, 
right? I'm not the guy that goes surfing around and look at, oh, that's a cool technique, and oh, what's Akbon doing this week? Or I, I just, I, I've got a life, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and I train, right? But when I go there, I have very specific things in mind, and it's not looking at Kitty or you know funny videos or whatever. It's in uh, learning what you know. What does science come up with for increasing energy, right? There's this great series of things called the TED Talks. Right, so I'll pick through yeah. those and and look at things that have to do with de-stressing or, uh, and that's where I found the science of weight loss and all that, um, and uh, some other things. Right, but um, what what the ninja would have done was they they built these networks so that if something new came along that could improve life or results or success or whatever, man, they jumped on that. Where the samurai mentality typically was, if it was good enough for my great 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 grandfather. Why change it, right? We're just going to keep it the same because that's tradition. Tradition is more important than anything else. So, um, you know, but then they turn around and hire Ninja because the Ninja could and would do things that they couldn't. So, uh, right. And, and take, you know, take firearms, for an example. When the samurai decided, you know, they, they originally brought the, the, the weapons in, right? The first weapons that they brought in from uh, the Portuguese were called uh, Tanagashima. And Tanagashima, uh, that, that's the name they gave to this long arm, this flintlocked, you know, musket, basically, right? But it was named that because that was the port that they were delivered to, Tanagashima. How about that for hmm. a history thing, right? Yeah, hmm. so uh, once they used them in warfare a couple of times and realized that, oh, my God, you could give some guy who was just pulled off a farm and put on the front lines, you could give him one of these things, and he could kill a, a, a you know, multi-generational samurai who spent his life mastering the art of warfare, and he could kill him with the pull of a trigger, um, they decided to get rid of them. You know, it was it was dishonorable, right? It was a dishonorable weapon. Where the ninja were like, you know, okay, that, yeah, good idea. Good idea. You get rid of those. Yeah. We'll, so we'll get rid of them what for our you. Forefathers we'll... do. Yeah, what our forefathers yeah. do. We disguised them as short swords and all that. So it looked like this really rustic kind of thing in a in – a, uh, in a scabbard and all that, but I'm going to pull this thing and, you know, put a hole in your in your armor. So, um, yeah, is that, is that where you were going with it? or Because um, they, you yeah. know, the, the, we could get into Reiki, we could get into Shiatsu, we could get into all these things. Um, but, I mean, the ninja had the uh, the uh, Amatsutsukata lessons that had to do with health and, and energy and all that, but we just, we don't have the time for all that stuff. And, uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I was so, just kind of seeing yeah, where, no, you know, we, we kind of build our personal power and energy, but then, you know, you can look to expand in, in kind of networking much the way Ninja of Old used to, to increase your oh, power yeah. beyond yourself to, you know, like you say, you know, you don't have to work so hard. If you set things up, then other people start generating power for you. Oh, absolutely. Influence things in the absolutely. world, you know. You know, yeah. and we live in such a so, great time now. I mean, you know, there are so many people that I encounter in this art who complain about not having money, not having resources, not having choices and all that, when there is so much available online that and for free, or you could buy an yeah. ebook for 10 bucks or whatever that would tell you how to take something that you know, write an ebook, get it up online and be making money in a day or three, right? That there's a whole bunch of people out there that are looking for that as an answer, but you might see it as something that, well, you know, uh, well, everybody knows how to do that. Yeah, no, they don't, right? I, I know a guy that that went from, you know, barely getting by 
to making an extra $1,000 a month because he wrote an ebook on how to bait a hook properly so that he didn't lose the worm or whatever it was, right, and hmm. how to read the, the, the banks or whatever. And a lot of good fishermen know how to do this or people that have been fishing all their lives that know how to do it. But there's a lot of people that are just starting that they keep losing the worm or whatever, right? <laughs> he was selling the e-book for like 5 or 10 bucks, right? It's an electrical, an electronic download, right? He, he has it stored on Google, and they pay for it. And at the beginning, he didn't have it stored anywhere. He put up a, a, a free page, right? And people paid him, and he sent them the link, and they downloaded it and whatever, right? But wow. he's making an extra $1,000 a month, right? So hmm. it is so easy these days to change your circumstance, right? You're not stuck on an island. You're not whatever. And so, you know, seeing this network, um, and there's lots of people that are doing well or, you know, that, that maybe started out the same way that you are or worse. I'm one, right, um, that, you know, I'm living a very different life these days, right? All it would take is an email or a question or whatever. Hey, you know, what did you do to change this? Here's what's going on. Um, any suggestions? Can you point me in the right direction? But that's only half the equation, right? I mean, you can have a network, but if you don't carry out the action, then mm. then whose fault is it, right? But yeah. there's just uh, that's why I sent out that one email uh, last week or early this week or whatever, right? Uh, which mm -hmm. basically summarized was stop bitching, right? If you're a warrior yeah. um, and and you're in negative circumstances, you have three options, right? One um, get out of it, right? Go go somewhere else. Do a do-over, right? Two, change your perspective on it so that you're okay with it, right? Or three, change it, right? But either way, that's it. That's what you have. The fourth option, which a lot of people gravitate to, is complaining about it is not an option because complaining mm -hmm. about it only reminds yourself, others, and the world that you're the victim that you're playing. So, and victims die, right? Victims suffer, okay? So, and this is something I got from a teacher way back in like 81, 82, something like that, right? And because I was that guy, I was always complaining about things. I was, I was doing what everybody else does. I was doing what my mentors and parents and these people in my life did about their circumstances, right? And he said, look, man, you got three choices. Get out of it, change it, or change your perspective so you're okay with it. But either way, mm. stop bitching. Because if you're going to yeah. bitch about it and you're going to play the role of the victim, you can't be a ninja. You can't be a warrior. Right? Warriors make yeah. decisions. Warriors act. Right? Standing in one place, blaming other people, and complaining does absolutely no good to anybody, least of all you. Yeah. So, you know, there's, I mean, that's all part of power generation as well. Being able to give up bad for good, being able to give up good for better, right? Being able to take charge of your own destiny, right? Yeah, but what if you make a decision and you end up in a worse place than you came from? Then make another decision. You can't go back in time, but you could go back to the, you could go back to the position you were in. Well, I left my job and they won't take me back. Well, why won't they take you back? There's only two reasons. They're assholes, or you were an asshole when you were leaving, right? or you weren't <laughs> right. a good worker to begin with, right? Because, yeah. you know, if they haven't hired somebody back in, it's a whole lot cheaper to bring you back in 
you're already trained than it is to bring somebody else back in, go through all the administrative headaches, the insurance and all that kind of stuff, and the training, right? That So, um, but I think therein lies part of the fear that a lot of people have. They're afraid of making a decision for fear of being wrong. Hmm. Dude, mm-hmm. until you're so, you're so comfortable with being wrong that you know that, look, I could be so wrong that I'm, I'm so far in left field, I'm parking cars in the parking lot. That's how far in left field I am, right? And being okay with that and knowing that once you recognize a better option, you're going to take that option. Why would you not? That's called self-improvement. If you can see better yeah. options in front of yourself and you choose to not take them, stop complaining the man in the mirror or the woman in the mirror is your biggest enemy. Right. Right. You've got nobody else to blame for yourself. Now, if you didn't know or somebody else taught you the wrong thing, Okay, you could say, well, you know, my dad taught me that, my mom taught me that, or whatever, but you know what? You're over 18 now. You make your own freaking decisions. So just because you were taught that doesn't mean you need to do that. It's kind of like in, in Mikio, we have that one, um, the words of admonition, right? It's kind of like a, a self-confession uh, kind of thing, right? Since beginning of this time, I have sown seeds that have uh, resulted in uh, negative thoughts, words, and or ne- sown seeds, using negative thoughts, words, and deeds, uh, I wish to acknowledge and atone for all. So what we're really saying is up to this point, I've done the best I can with what I have, and now that I know better, I'm going to do better. Right? So, but how many have learned better and still don't do it? And you can start in the dojo. How many people have we taught how to walk correctly and still don't? How many people have we taught to, you know, uh, use a better timing or to relax or whatever, and they're still... So they're relaxed in dojo because they're in that little environment. But as soon as they walk out, mentally, they're stressed because their kids drive them up a wall or they don't want mm. the job they have or whatever. Then freaking, then change it or leave it or change your perception. You know, you, you remember Richard Snyder, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the oldest guy in our dojo, yeah? Um, yeah. I asked him one time because he, he was working, uh, was doing farming and working his butt off. And then he took a job with the postal system, and he was talking about, you know, first couple hours he'd be staying there, and he would just be, you know, filling the different uh, boxes and all that with his mail, and he, that was his job to sort. And then he went out on the road and did things and, you know, and all that. And I said, well, do you like it? And he said, liking isn't a part of the equation. What I like is the income that it provides so that my wife and I can go to Quebec every year. We can go and do these things. I can, you know, whatever, right? So it wasn't a like or dislike of the job. He had a grander vision of what he wanted money for in his life, and it served its purpose. So liking or disliking didn't even, you know, did he have good days or bad yeah. days? Yeah. But it wasn't It wasn't about the job or I wish I wasn't here. Or what, I mean, there was no negative thinking. Yeah. You know, there was, you know, it was going to Quebec every year. Good paycheck. <laughs> Pays better yeah. than farming is what he used to say. <laughs> Pays better than farming. So, so we uh, anyway, we're we're pretty much out of time on the show. But I want to give a second if there's anybody on that uh, has a question before we have to cut out of this. But let's see, what we have here. Yeah, I was uh, I, I was going to make a mention just quickly here that you know if if folks have been paying attention to the news, even if you haven't, right? There just been tons of examples this past week or two of more aggression going on, right? Yeah. Uh, and not just terrorist things or whatever. There was that guy, you know, I'd say that little thing about the guy in uh, Florida, or Texas, right? Yeah. Stormed a, 
a cafe or a restaurant or whatever, decides to shoot up the place. Uh, he shot one guy, and somebody else that was um, doing concealed carry um, shot him, and he mm-hmm. was done. But this guy went in with multiple firearms, multiple knives, uh, workplace violence kind of stuff is is you know on the rise. There was a one there was one in Florida uh, where somebody was fired three months ago or whatever, and went in and shot five supervisors, uh, turned the gun mm-hmm. on himself when the cops showed up. So the reliance on law enforcement. Uh, I'm not saying that people should be vigilantes, but this ignorance of, you know, the, well, that's what the cops are for or, you know, whatever, um, people need to reevaluate because a lot of these bad guys, they, they shoot themselves when the guys with the guns show up, right? And they tend to steer away from places where there might be a gun living or there might be somebody who's trained living or whatever. Unless you live in an area where the general psychology is, let's see who's the toughest bull, in which case you either be the tough bull or you be the disguised pansy, or you freaking grab your family and move. Mm-hmm. And don't tell me how easy it is or isn't. Right? If you won't do it or you won't look around, then sorry. Because again, yeah. I'm coming from a background where I didn't have things handed to me. Right? I grew up very, very, very poor. And so when people look at me and go, "Yeah, well, see, you, you understand because your situation was different." You're right. It was worse. So. Mm. Um, you know, anyway. Don't so, see any questions on the questions board here from the webcast. Here. Uh, nope. Uh, yeah, I don't see anything okay. there. And I don't hear anyone on the call, and I don't see anyone on the, the thing here. As a matter of fact, we were in interactive mode the entire time. I didn't switch it over to lecture mode, so anybody could have cut in at any time. So perhaps uh, we threw them off last week with uh, not having one, and they uh, got in the habit of not being here or whatever. But either way, we'll get the recording out to those who are signed up on the Kuden page and on the, uh, the uh, email list, and uh, we'll just keep on marching. Absolutely. Thanks so, again to uh, cool. Josh for his great question there at the beginning. Keep keep those yeah, coming. Yeah, they, uh, they keep the show going. We, we always love answering those questions. So uh, until Josh next Josh is week, one of my students. He, Josh is one of my students. He's actually started to hand make uh, Senban Shudigan. And they're turning out Ooh, pretty sweet. Pretty nice. sweet. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Ship one of those out here to California there, Josh. That's, <laughs> yeah, oh, I heard there's laws against some things in California because those are Well, you know, it's strictly from yeah. a, you know, but baseball QA bats are perfectly legal, right? Quality <laughs> assessment standpoint, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, that's something I, I will be talking to somebody here about shortly there. Uh, area that's probably within an hour of here. Uh, last week, a prominent businessman was beaten to death with a baseball bat by his hmm. son. They think it might be drug-related or whatever, but here's another one of those things where, you know, not going to happen to me because of my status in life, my abilities, my, you know, whatever. So yeah. now they're interested in doing self-defense training. Right. Well, not him. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody else that doesn't Everybody want to help. Yeah, sure. Yeah. All right. Okay. So anyway, well, until uh, next yeah, week. Good. Everybody until, uh stay safe. Yeah. Or make sure that you're safer. That'll work. All right. That's it. Let's wrap this up. Thank you for listening to Kudan, the podcast for self defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. 
For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes with Sheehan Miller, or to submit a question or discussion topic to the show, call 570-884-1118 or visit warrior-concepts-online.com.